0: Creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Preachy to Coyle. Oh, and the Leafs are mulched again.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ness and Bruins Podcast. I'm Ness Mike Cole. Joined, as always, by Ness Logan Mullen. and Logan how Logan, how are we?
0: We are good, Mike. Thank you for asking. How are you? Uh,
1: I can't complain. Well, I can't complain. But really, at this point... Where is that getting any of us? Uh, nowhere, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we are back, as promised, uh, with the Bruins podcast this week. Uh, we will continue our, our – really uh, an unofficial series that we've begun here is just kind of taking uh, – t- I keep saying keep taking stock, but that's what we're doing is kind of just digging yep. into uh, the positional groups. We've already uh, crossed off the goalies. We crossed off the defensemen last week, so we'll get into the forward, group, forward groupings this week. Uh, kind of look at what they have uh, in the cupboard now and uh, what's moving forward. So, uh, but before we do that, we'll do our uh, now really our weekly check in of where things stand amid this coronavirus pause. Uh, the news, I guess, not a ton this week, but uh, the NHL came out and said the self quarantine period will continue through April. Uh, so that's not a huge surprise there. Uh, that's kind of just a, a continual kick of the can. Um, let's see, uh, Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci on Snapchat. You
0: no, know, when it. when Dr. Fauci's optimistic, I got to say, that sparked so, my optimism a little bit, too. Because he, so, he kind of came out of the clouds and said that. Like, he was under no obligation to do
1: that. Yeah, and I also wonder, so he came out uh, on Snap... What What is that thing called? Snapchat? I guess
0: it's a Snapchat series or sure. something like that, but it's Snapchat on YouTube.
1: Yeah, it was on YouTube. But he said... uh he was, he sounded very optimistic that sports could return this summer. Yeah,
0: I listened to the, and it wasn't that long of a chat that they posted, but I mean, he didn't say with much reservation. He was basically like, yeah, slap him in a hotel, only let him go to him from the arena, test him all the time, and we're on our way.
1: I will say he, it sounded like he was very. And the, actually the interviewer asked him about baseball. So I think he might've been talking solely right. about baseball. So that's and, the one thing. Yeah. And I will say, uh, I, I think we might've mentioned this in weeks past. If you are to power rank the three sports that are kind of in limbo right now, taking out football, because there's kind of still a few months away from having to make a real hard decision. Uh, but among baseball, basketball and hockey, I would say hockey has the toughest road to hoe in terms of getting back. So I think, what Fauci said, I, like I said, I think he was mostly talking about baseball anyway. But I, I think you have to kind of expect greater hurdles to clear for the for NHL, especially as we get into the summer months. Uh, so, I, I, again, I don't really put a whole lot into what Fauci said uh, earlier this week about that. So, I don't know. Maybe that's me being negative. But.
0: I I guess it would be determined based on how far the NHL wants to push the season. Like if you're talking about baseball getting underway at some point yeah this summer, like I guess you could ramp up hockey really quickly on in mid July, early August. But like at that point, what are you doing? Like you're just mortgaging the future.
1: Well, that's that's a good segue because we we we've done this a few times as well, checking in with the TSN group, uh, their insider trading. Pierre LeBrun uh, was he had the most concrete information this week when he said he he was kind of kicking around asking people in the know when the NHL thought they might have to make a decision. Like what's the longest, not, not just a return. When's the longest they can go into the spring or into even into the summer before making a decision on whether or not they will try to extend the season. Uh, and he said, he talked to two governors. One said uh, late May another said mid June um, and teams getting back together just to, uh, you know, to start practicing Uh, doesn't seem close in sight, he said. So there's still a ways to go before we get any sort of thing. This is another hurdle that they have to clear, is that you're going to be bringing guys back from Europe, so they're going to have to quarantine for 14 days, most likely, I would assume. They can
0: even get in the country, too.
1: Right, yeah, that's another point, too. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, uh, you know, especially, you know, I don't know, are there Russians who went home? And, you know, Russia is now starting to see finally, uh, from what we know, uh, an an uptick in cases as well, so you have to sort out a lot of those geopolitical things as well. Uh, so that's the thing you have. That's what makes this so tricky and so h- hard to figure out is you have to add at least like two weeks onto everything. It's been the same way in terms of like tracking uh, cases and deaths is like we're behind two weeks behind and everything. And it's the same thing with this is you have to build in extra time for guys to get back, quarantine, get their legs, practice, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Drager on the same thing, said so the number one concern uh, among people in the game when they get back is going to be the injury. Number two is going to be the energy level, the intensity level there's a bunch of you know who knows what 's going to look like. I think uh, I guess we can do our our weekly check in in terms of our confidence meters uh, why don 't you go first uh, one to ten with ten being your uh, highest confidence
0: I think i've been hovering at a four the last few weeks, and i I would say i'm actually. I'm like a five this week. I'm a little more confident now wow. than I have been before for two reasons. One, because the there was, I think it was Pierre LeBron who said that they're willing to push the start of next season. In the past, that hadn't yeah. really been much of a thing. And so if getting the rest of this season done was predicated on them not moving the upcoming campaign, then they would have there would have been no way to do it but now if they actually believe that they could wait until November or December to start the following season I can see them waiting until early July I guess like if they if they're able to get training camps and whatnot going in on June 1st with an eye on games starting in July like they can make that work so yeah. I'm I'm not significantly more confident that they're coming back but because Bettman has been beating that drum so much that he wants to hand out the Stanley cup this year, all that crap. I think they're really going to try and find a way.
1: Interesting. So I think I was a four last week, a three the week before. I think I'm down to like a two and a half.
0: Really? I, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've read too much. And this is, I know people might find this part of the podcast boring. I don't know. Uh, But I, I feel it's very therapeutic. I like to get some things out that I, I've i been reading too much, I think. And I've I read the – I don't know, did you see the Catch the Sports Illustrated article this week about
0: – Which one?
1: Uh, what's that? I said which one. Um, It was about just like – the whole thing was centered around, it's going to be so much more difficult than anyone can even imagine to bring sports back. And yeah. so, like, part of my thing is that I've been – I feel like I'm I'm taking a smart approach to this entire situation not just as it pertains to hockey but the 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 pandemic in general and trying to read as much stuff from smart people as I can and that's mostly doctors uh yeah. who are more pragmatic and probably a little more conservative with their decision making and it spooked me into like thinking I I'm buying this thing the Harvard thing that we're not going to have anything until 2022 let alone like we're just going to I'm assuming I'm just going to sit in this room for the next two years. So if that's going to be the case, I don't see how hockey is going to come back. I understand yeah. that, like, I, you know, there's going to be – there are just as many powerful, important decision-makers who have a much higher stake in the, you know, the economy and the financial aspects of things. That probably will be, balance it out. But this is just a weekly check-in on me, and it's really more of a getting me on the, the psychiatrist's couch. Right now where I stand, I don't have a ton of confidence in hockey. Basketball, baseball, different situation, but hockey, I just think there are too many hurdles, especially when you get in the – do you want to play hockey in the summer? I guess it's better than nothing, but at a certain point that seems difficult.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, my level of confidence that comes back doesn't necessarily run concurrent with what I think is right. Like, I think they'd be wise now just to pack it in and say, let's start this thing back up in September and cross our fingers. But I think as has become increasingly clear pretty much every week – the president of the United States wants to move heaven and earth to get sports back. And so it may not be the right decision, but it's kind of a, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission type thing where it's like, you know what, let's just lay out a plan, roll the dice, hope no one gets sick and be on our merry
1: way. Within an hour of our, of our podcast, they are meeting with Trump is meeting with, uh, I think basically another round of not commissioners or whatever. Like they're, He's so going, like, going back to the sport
0: team people. owners. Some team yeah owners, owners right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Mark Cuban and Jerry Jones, like yeah. people in power.
1: Yeah, I think Vince McMahon might be involved in that again as well. So that's uh, that's interesting. But yeah, so I actually that's a it's a good point. You sit there say you know you might not want it to, but I'm actually on the other. I think I'm in terms of my expectations. I'm pretty doom and gloom, but in terms of what I think they should do, I'm actually kind of leaning toward. Uh, and I don't want to be outing myself as a Neanderthal here, but like, you know. <laughs> that's <sailed>. Let's go. <laughs> you know I mean? uh, let's find a way to make it work. And, and, you know, I don't want to downplay what most of the country is going through right now. But I think, I, I don't know, maybe it's just as somebody who works in sports. I think there are a lot of people on the internet or wherever in the comments who are downplaying the importance of sports in this country. And I don't know, maybe that's pie in the sky. Maybe that's, I have my priorities mixed up but uh if there's well, a way to get it done i hope they do
0: it i have no way to prove this but i mean the weather's about to get a lot nicer and people are probably going to start relaxing on actually socially distancing so maybe sports is a better way to keep people from you know, yeah. cassery and being outside all the time and with it
1: and whatnot so yeah i hope there. i hope it comes back to uh, you know obviously but i think there'll be some interesting conversations too if they decide hockey comes back and you know, we, this is for down the road, but talking about the idea of—I you know, just been watching a ton of old games, especially on Nesting with our reairs of the those the Bruins' two thousand and eleven playoff run. Just the idea—we're getting way ahead of ourselves. But playoff hockey without a crowd is—that's one thing I've realized—is like you start to come to the come to grips with the idea that they're going to be playing sports in front of empty arenas and stadiums. That's going to be so bizarre.
0: You like know, just, I would. I was reading the story about Kirk Cousins talking about how he might actually like playing without fans. And one thing he mentioned is that during practices, they pump in crowd noise. Yeah. I wonder if they'd ever get to the point where they would pump in crowd noise.
1: So I can we have off uh, I was watching Taiwanese baseball this morning.
0: <laughs>
1: and the noise, I don't know if this is the way it always is it, for Taiwanese baseball. The noise never stopped. There was always music. <laughs> like, it sounded like there was a DJ in the background talking at times. It was – wild. I so mean, the,
0: guard, the garden at times during the playoffs was like library quiet. Right. It's, it's like if you imagine that, you know, it's just a 4 walloping or something like that, or the home team's getting killed and they still just have the crowd noise firing away.
1: Or on the other end, like imagine you know a seventh game of a playoff series going end-to-end, that helter-skelter type of hockey where you're getting, you know, stand-on-your-head saves at each end, and it's just <laughs> crickets. It's going to be nuts. <laughs> right?
0: so yeah
1: all right let's talk about actual hockey right. uh, on the ice and, and such as it, as we talked about at the top uh we'll, we're continuing our our look at the Bruins uh position group by position group we're on to the forwards this week uh and you and I were kind of just chatting before we came on uh I there's not a lot to say here uh no. you know it's this is again you have the, the best line in hockey uh with the Bergeron line up top arguably one of the you know if not the best one of the three or four best in the entire league, uh, you know, David Krejci, one of the more underrated players in the last 10 to 15 years in the NHL. Uh, and, you know, the the moves that they've made recently, whether it's the, you know, re-signing Charlie Coyle to a contract extension, the trade for Andre Kasha, like there's there's good depth here, good talent. I mean, this is – they are pretty set and it. They're pretty set for at least a couple more years.
0: Yeah, I'm. I would agree. I mean, there's no – you know, Krejci will be up after next season, but they already took care of that situation with the Charlie Coyle uh, yeah. extension. And, you know, they, they have center depth in Providence between Jack Stadnicka and Trent Frederick. Uh, and by all accounts, Trent Frederick's offensive game has really come around. I don't know if a second-line center is, you know, in in the cards for him, but – If David Krejci decides to go elsewhere, I don't know, throw a screwball at us and retire, I don't know, Uh, that's a guy with a fairly long injury history, then I don't think the Bruins are going to be totally up the creek with their situation down the middle. And having Charlie Coyle, where you can use him in any sort of middle six role and he'll probably be a higher-end guy there, you know, there's not a huge sense of urgency to take care of, I guess, you know, by signing Coyle, Don Sweeney did himself a lot of favors in that his list of priorities and contingency plans that he needs to lay out are relatively few because things can't really get to a nuclear situation where all of a sudden, you know, Bergeron and Krejci are gone. They have absolutely no organizational depth or anything like that. So yeah, the forward situation for the most part, at, at least in the top six, looks like it's going to be intact for another couple of years
1: yeah it's they're in a good spot <clears throat> i'm just looking at it real quick uh you might have mentioned this too but i it, i kind of zoned out because that's what i do uh but nordstrom's the only ufa in that entire group at the nhl level right now if i'm not mistaken uh
0: i believe you're
1: different. right so i mean even you know you got rfas New york's an rfa and the is the big one um and again, it's hard to you know we kind of talked about this with the defensemen, especially with the Tory Crew thing. It's hard to project what the salary cap is going to look like. A lot of that might hinge on our first conversation of this uh, this this episode with you know how much they get in terms of revenue for the playoffs. And who that's another thing too. We'll have to figure out who knows what revenue looks like with the playoffs. Put- yeah. I I don't even it's just there's so many uh, hurdles they have to clear before we can really dig into that but uh in terms like I said in terms of free agent class not a lot there just Nordstrom is a UFA who is a pretty uh much to your uh uh he's not
0: expendable that would be a that would be a tough loss because he is a fantastic skater and a fantastic penalty killer but I think by them giving Chris Wagner the extension that they did they pretty much said you know we like our depth I mean they're chock full of guys that can play bottom six roles whether that's Trent Frederick they still have Anton bleed with them they can put Nick Ritchie down there so not that the loss of Nordstrom and the skill set that he brings wouldn't hurt but they do have internal options to where they could let him walk conversely he's not going to make much more than a million right like he's making 1.1 right now and if they have the cap space why would you not bring him back like I I doubt there's going to be a team out there that throws absurd money at him
1: yeah well, I think the reason they don't bring him back is Parlinholm or something like that,
0: right? And they, I believe, they have Parlinholm for next year too. They
1: do, yeah. They've got him. That's uh, funny.
0: He's been a fantastic signing too. He's great defensively. You know, Sean has gotten those opportunities on the wing, and he's proven that. He can actually, he doesn't need to just be pigeonholed into a center role. So maybe going forward, you roll with the Corrali Lindholm Wagner line, and you know, that's you could be in a far worse circumstance.
1: Yeah, it's nuts. I'm just like looking at it, and like just the more you look at it, to have your entire top six and really like top eight like I know that's a weird way of putting it locked up for next year. I think you start breaking down, and you know, maybe there's a need on the right wing probably third line right winger depending on what get green, it. but yeah but that's you got enough guys coming up where you can give somebody a shot in camp or you can go out and make a signing like you know they went what one for two with their off season forward signings whether it was <laughs> uh you know Richie and Lindholm uh yeah. and, and Lindholm obviously worked out but maybe there's a one and a half million dollar winger out there that you can go get and try to fit under the cap or whatever. So yeah. that's a, it's a very small problem and a very small hold of fill, relatively speaking.
0: Right. And, and, you know, every time I think about, and this is kind of changing the subject a little bit, but the Tory crude situation, I always, and again, we don't know what the salary cap's going to be, especially if they cancel the season or they have to play without fans, which is again, looking increasingly likely, but I don't think Jake DeBrusque is going to get as much as people probably expect he would. And you talk about guys who would be put in a tougher spot by the season being canceled. He is certainly one of them because he's had such an up and down year and because he wasn't the same last season after the concussion against Tampa. You know, I'm looking at Bruin stats tweeted out some comparisons for guys who are averaging about the points per game, getting their first RFA contracts. It's like Kevin Fiala, three million a year, Pavel Buchnevich, three point two five, Jacob Vrana, three point three five, the you know, Andreas Janssen, three point four. Like I don't think debrusque is gonna make some sort of cap crippling salary where you're paying him north of four million, I think he's gonna fall very comfortably right in that three to three and a half million range. And then if that's the case and the caps at, you know, eighty one and a half, then you're probably working with seventeen million to take care of your backup goalie, Bjork, Carson coolman Chara, Krug, and like It'd
1: be tough. But not
0: tough uh, but not impossible.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, they're looking at what, like 20,
0: 22 million in cap space. And Grislick's another guy that it's kind of weird to assess what the market is for him, right? Like he hasn't put up a ton of points, but he's a fantastic two-way defenseman. If if Krug walks, then he's probably your number one power play guy, but he moves the puck well, he defends responsibly. So it's like, what's the market for a guy that is in that sort of position that's still an RFA? You know, Sweeney yeah. historically has done a good job of getting guys to take below market value, um, and he might get put in that spot again.
1: I will say, if the, the league does not re- resume in return for this season, Sweeney's first press conference is going to be fascinating in terms of – and I. but then again, who knows? I mean, that's the thing. I was going to say, it would be fascinating in, t- in terms of what his offseason strategy would be like because – I wouldn't blame them if there is an inclination there to just run it all back and be like, we were, you know, we owe it to this group. We owe it to this core to bring back pretty much the same exact roster. It's doable. It's feasible. It's not going to kill us. Um, But, you know, so I guess in that regard, if they assume that they're going to start again in September, October, even November of next year, you know, you'd you'd probably do that and just kind of take, take what you can and go back with that same roster but I also wonder too like how roster building changes when you don't know whether you're gonna play next season either so there's yeah, a lot
0: well and that goes back to what we talked about how we might see a lot of guys take one year deals and that may benefit the Bruins in the short term at, right. at least at the blue line like I don't think the deal that Jake DeBrusk gets is going to be altered that much by what does or does not happen with the rest of the season but the way they approach other guys is certainly going to be impacted by what happens with Tory Krug. And if all of a sudden he has to take a one-year deal below market value to get himself back to, you know, when the salary cap expands a little bit more and there's a bit more normalcy in life, then, you know, that that will most certainly impact the off-season approach, not just for him, but league-wide.
1: Yeah. So oh, that's something. Anything else on the forwards? I mean, they're – They've got a good group of young guys, I guess, too, similar to the – I think it's actually pretty similar to the defense, you know, with defense core where it's, like, a lot of guys, not one real shining example of, like, a camp miss prospect, but a lot of low ceiling at least – or low floor – high floor, relatively low ceiling guys. Um, But it's also you have no idea, you know, what – because that's the thing. When you have a team that has this many veterans on it, it's like, what if – yeah, you, know, you haven't had a chance to see those younger players, and that's actually kind of a good thing if you think about it. But at a certain point, you're going to run out of time with these guys. Well, and I mean that's
0: that's another situation where it, the Bruins not being able to finish out the regular season is going to hurt them in some respects. Because yeah, considering how much they were running away with the Atlantic Division, the fact that they probably were going to have their postseason spot and place atop the Atlantic Division locked up by like mid to late March, they are going to have a couple of weeks where they could trot out a lot of guys. Like, Zach Stenition's about to be an RFA. Like, yeah. would you like to know a little bit more what you have with him? And, you know, Carson Kuhlman, he's going to be an RFA again as well. Like, get an extended look with him. Jack Stadnicka probably gets called up. Anton Bleed probably plays a little bit more. Those are things that if they have to just hit the ground running in the postseason, you're not necessarily going into the offseason sight unseen with some of these guys, but you're – Ability to evaluate them at the NHL level obviously is different. Like, do you want to let, I take your pick, do you want to let Joakim Nordstrom walk and then all of a sudden Trent Frederick doesn't pan out and, you know, Anton Bleed's not an NHL player and you're like, well, shoot, now we're a little bit of a mess in an area that historically has been a position of strength with us because we did not want to re sign a guy for a million bucks because we thought someone else might work out. So,
1: yeah, it's a very good way for you to get. More that's, that's the spin zone right there. Jesus! Despite the fact that playing the most unimportant position in the sport, but that's right.
0: Strong disagree, but
1: okay, sure, yeah. yeah. Well, that's just because you've been uh, brainwashed by watching the Bruins for the last twenty years, where it's been <laughs> <laughs> having a fourth line is the most important thing in, <laughs> in roster building, apparently.
0: I, I don't know how spicy this is. We overstate the merlot line. I've I've come to remember. That's,
1: that's a terrible take. It's just a bad take. They,
0: they were fine. They were fine. But people conveniently forget that Sean Thornton was healthy scratch for like half of the final two series of the 2011 run.
1: Yeah, but like when he went back in, like he had like two or three shifts that were like the best of his entire life that set the tone.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's fair. It is funny how ice time – has changed over the last few years like we've been doing these Bruins on course so I've been down the rabbit hole with some of these things like Sean Thornton would play like four and a half five minutes a night and I remember when they were doing that to David Backus last year being like what the hell is Cassidy doing and then it was every single day every single game you have you know Sean Thornton's playing four and a half five minutes like Daniel Paye on games where there weren't a ton of penalties he was playing like six minutes like that's just kind of unheard of now. Um, my, my favorite, since we are down the rabbit was yeah. game one of that cup final, Lane Vignal played his fourth line. None of those guys played more than two and a half minutes. No one took more than four shifts on his fourth line. It's like, what are, what are you doing? Why even dress them?
1: Did you get to the bottom of that? I don't remember why. No,
0: no clue. It was Alex Bolduck who was playing because Manny Malhotra was out and he wasn't ready to come back. He played a minute 39, Victor Oreskovich, who Vino just hated, played a minute fifty-four, and then Jeff Tambellini played two and a half minutes. So, like yeah, just—you have to double shift your top nine guys like pretty much nonstop because you don't well, trust the fourth line.
1: Yeah, I mean that was nine years ago or whatever, but that's like a lifetime ago. The sport,
0: right, right,
1: evolved so quickly. Yeah. And yeah, if you can't roll for, I mean, that was the thing. The Bruins, like that's, that's
0: a- and the the Blues too. I mean, they were they got two of their fourth line forwards getting popped for suspensions during the Cup final, and it was nary a worry. Uh, yeah, you know, and they they had Alex Steen centering that fourth line, and then it was uh, Sunquist and, ah, uh, oh, crap, the other person escapes my mind. But it was they were fine. And the same thing with the Bruins. I mean, one of their best lines during that cup run was the Nordstrom, Achari, Corrali, Wagner combination that they kept using.
1: The irony, too, is it was about the 11 Bruins is like Julian got roasted, sometimes rightfully so, for rolling four lines. That's the, that was the big joke is that you like to roll four lines and then you're getting five minutes. Of, but, I mean, yeah. it's like cup final against a much more talented team. Supposedly, Ivan yeah.
0: Barbashev—that's who it was.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, none of it's surprising, but it is just funny to look back on. So, uh, I have enjoyed that. Maybe we'll have to do that. Maybe next week we'll kind of do a little 2011 blast from the past.
0: We'll look back
1: uh, to celebrate the end of uh, the first round of Bruins encores. Hopefully, we're not going to be doing Bruins encores much longer on Ness. That's my hope. Is that, uh, <laughs> is that
0: Bruins live
1: yes exactly
0: Bruins first set
1: Bruins main feature
0: yeah
1: (laughs) um but no actually I do that that one last tangent I hope that I don't want this to cost people jobs in the long run but I hope networks uh sports networks start leaning on the uh the classics a little more frequently it is funny it's like where'd you get like MLB notoriously like does not allow their stuff online all of a sudden we're just putting out games from like 2001 and it's just oh yeah, yeah.
0: tonight on NESN, we have a Red Sox Rangers game from June of 2006
1: yeah give it to me I love it just yeah. play the entire 1999 Red Sox season I would
0: that was a great season
1: 99-95 oh love it same thing with the Bruins yeah give me 1994 Bruins you know I'll take that all day 92 93 oh Cusick and Sanderson just give it to me so um all right, that's all I got. I don't know if you have anything else.
0: No, nah, let's get out of here.
1: We're kind of in our holding pattern. So uh, we'll be back again next week to discuss a, uh, uh, an und- uh, undecided topic. We're going to figure out – oh, you did do some uh, – you've done some interviews yeah. that will start rolling out as well. So
0: That is in the pipeline. Interviews okay. have been done with Jack Becker from Michigan, uh, Jack Ashawn, the – college free agent defenseman from St. Cloud that they signed, and Johnny Beecher, their first-round pick last year. So those are ready to go, but in due course those will be released. So certainly something to look forward to other than us just
1: yammering away. Becker and Beecher is something I'll confuse for –
0: They played on a line together, too, the next, at the beginning of the year because they're both at Michigan. Right,
1: yeah, that's going to confuse me.
0: prospects whose initials are JB.
1: For the entirety of their careers, I'll mess that up. So, yeah. Confused cool. out of me. Yeah. Great work. Uh, we'll be back again next week. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you then.